0: I'm Jason McLeod, a Michelin-starred chef and partner with CH Projects here in San Diego, where we currently operate 16 restaurants and bars. Why am I a chef doing a podcast, you ask? I'm here to showcase everything a chef does because it's no longer about cooking meat, fish, and veggies. Through my interviews and conversations, you'll get to see that chefs bartend, run social media channels, wash dishes, and occasionally we get to cook. I want to thank the Strikers SD for the intro music, rocking San Diego since 2005. But enough talking, let's get started. Today I'm talking with Natalie Sawyer and Michelle Allen. Natalie, head butcher at Ironside Fish and Oyster. Michelle, head butcher at Born and Raised. We talk about being female butchers in a male-dominated kitchen, importance of culinary school, leadership, calmness during chaos in the kitchen, what they would change in our industry, and what's a stage. Stay tuned and find out as we have a good conversation with Natalie and Michelle. Really excited today. I got two of my favorite people in all the world with me. I have Natalie Sawyer, a butcher at Ironside Fish and Oyster. I got Mich- Michelle Allen, butcher at Born and Raised. Uh, two girls that really are doing some great things in the butchery world. And we're gonna talk a little bit about kind of how they got started, how they joined CH, kind of where they see themselves going. Natalie, welcome. Michelle, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for having you. Me. Really excited to have you guys. You know, I'm big fans of both of you. Um, I love having this opportunity to chat with you guys a little bit. Um, I wanna get into just kind of a little bit of background on you, Natalie. Kind of walk me through a little bit about how you ended up in San Diego.
1: Oh, um, I had a friend who was moving here. I went out to help her kind of paint up her grandpa's house and thought, hey, I could do it. Came out a couple of weeks later and just had a resume in hand, walked around. Uh, Mariano was the chef at the time Mm -hmm. and he thought I had balls for sitting down and having oysters after I gave my resume and he came out and talked and then, uh, we set up a
2: stage and that was that. That
0: it. So we thank your friend for getting you on the team for coming to paint a house. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Awesome. Michelle, what about you? Uh,
2: how I got to San Diego? Yeah. Okay. So I was originally in the Bay area for school. So my dad was in the army. We were in Germany. And then I decided to go to school in California. So I was in Hayward for five, six years, studied anthropology came down here because i got married to a navy guy so he was stationed (laughs) here in san diego and that's how i got here um after graduating i didn't really do much with the anthropology degree so i was like you know what i'm gonna go to culinary school because it was something i was always interested in even in college but i was like i'm already in college too late to do that so um i ended up going to sdci and then stayed here since
0: so you're a military kid yeah yeah it traveled around a lot um with that like coming down to san diego you know how, how does that you know for you traveling wise you know how does that kind of inspire you and in kind of moving into things
2: um i think i'm really adaptable to mm-hmm. anything i mean growing up we moved every three years you know we were in germany and then we were in colorado and then back to germany and then georgia so I've been exposed to all these types of foods growing up. I'm not a picky eater, so I feel like that's definitely helped me um, in this in this industry, um, keeping me open and creative. And um, yeah,
0: it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So Michelle Allen is Mish Potatoes on Instagram. Yes, Natalie Sawyer is N. Dot Vocos. V O C O S on Instagram. You guys follow them because they butcher some badass stuff that you guys can check out. So, Michelle, you're born in the Philippines, mm-hmm. graduated high school in Germany, mm-hmm. studied anthropology in San Francisco.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's pretty crazy to kind of start that, you know, and then end up in San Diego.
2: I know, end up in San Diego and butchering. I didn't which think is, I was going to butcher. Which is crazy. Ever. Which is pretty, right? pretty
0: badass. We're going to get to that for sure. Okay. Natalie, you grew up in, just outside Chicago. Yep. Right? You know, you're working at a Korean fried chicken spot. A friend tells you to come paint the house. You came out to San Diego, so you can almost leave this one of the meccas of culinary. Yes. And to move to a place that kind of gets a bad rap at times. It you does. Know? Did that scare you? Were you nervous? Were you confident?
1: I was nervous, but part of the reason that I was excited about it is I thought I would have an opportunity to really get my hands on cooler things earlier. Uh, Chicago is super competitive, and I was just leaving culinary school. I was very green, and I thought, you know, I have this great education, and. You know, I'm going to come at it headstrong and put everything I have into it, and hopefully,
2: someone gives me a chance.
0: Well, I think it's worked out not bad. It's worked out good, pretty good, well. Good. yeah. Well, on that note, you both brought up culinary school, right? Because Michelle, you went to
2: a uh, San Diego Culinary Institute in le and then what
0: did you go to? Kendall no? College. Kendall College. So I know Kendall College. I know them both, obviously, from my time in Chicago, and and let's get into a little bit about culinary schools, mm-hmm. you know, culinary schools have been, got a pretty bad rap, mm-hmm. you know, kind of over the last few years, and 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 I think there's a lot of chefs now that have come out and kind of, I, I don't think "bashed" is the right word, but "bashed," I guess, and kind of downgraded them. You know, what was your guys' experience like? Do you think it was worth it, Michelle? You know, what do you think? Did you get what you thought you would get out of culinary school?
2: Um, honestly, I loved it when I went to culinary school. It was a nine month program because I already went to college. I did the whole four or five years and I didn't want to do, um, I was looking at the Art Institute as well, but that was like a two year, four year program. And I just wanted something quick, get my experience in and then start working. And I loved it. I thought it was really fun. Um, It worked with my schedule. It was a really small class. Um, A lot of my classmates I still um, keep in touch with. And I know a lot of people in this industry who have gone to that school and have made it like really far, like Kyle kyle mm. i graduated a year before wow. he graduated nice. ryan too ryan and kyle were in the same class okay so, so ryan and
0: kyle both work at ironside uh college has just been promoted to our cdc there so that's who Michelle's talking oh no about.
2: ryan rev oh rev yeah. oh sorry rev is yeah.
0: one of our butchers as well kind of does our charcuterie at born and raised yes. a couple of ryan's obviously awesome. so for you culinary school was a good experience
2: yeah but but when i when new cooks come to me i see a lot of cooks who already work in industry and then they're like, oh, what do you think about me going to culinary school? I'm like, no, you already have your foot in the door. And that's why I went to culinary school because I didn't know how to get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's why I decided to do it. Um, but for younger kids who are already working, they've got a job, you know, you're a pup cook, and they feel like they need more experience. I'm like, no, you're gonna learn everything you're gonna learn in the kitchen from everyone around you.
0: I I agree with that, That's a great way of putting it. Now, you went to Kendall College, good reputation. Great. A lot of great cooks come out of Kendall College. I know a lot of the chefs are involved in Kendall College in there. What was your experience like?
1: I also had a really positive experience, and I was going in with only front of house experience, so I had never set foot in a professional kitchen before. It really gave you know the A through Z on the basic. I think the most important thing it taught me though was the kind of the attitude and the discipline behind working in a professional kitchen. Uh, to know that you know we're teaching you something now, but what your chef says later, trumps it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and to really teach us that we have to be humble and we have to always learn and grow. It was incredible.
0: And I, and I think it is. You made a good point there with what your instructor said. Is And I think that's part of the issue with Connery school is that there was a lot of false hopes, a lot of false information, a lot of false promises that these schools gave young students or just students in general. Some were always young, but that you're going to take this program nine months, two years, whatever it might be, and then you're going to drop or finish your a you know, degree in culinary or hospitality, and go out and make eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. Well, we all know that that's really not the case. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you have this big student loan, and you're making minimum wage in a kitchen somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, for you now, you just mentioned you went from front of house to back of house. Yes. So, how did that start for you, what was that process?
1: So, I actually had a, a gap period where I was nannying um, front of house. It was great. I loved the restaurant that I was working at. I just wasn't. Challenged, I guess I would say it was. I loved the energy and the chaos of it. It was a super busy restaurant, but I wanted something more. And when I was nannying, I was just going to take a knife skills class. Ended up taking a tour of a couple different culinary schools and was like,
0: "Wow, you know you wow, I'm done." So just for anyone out there, back of house and front of house for people that don't know, back of house is typically the kitchen, the dish area. Front of house is usually the servers, the host, the bartenders, the managers, so like that. So anyone out there, that's kind of where that was and. Typically there's, you know, there, there's two different sections in the place and you know very rarely do you see front of house people going to back of house. Usually it's the other way around. So I always get excited being a chef when I hear front of house people come to back of house. The dark side. So again, I'm here with Natalie Sawyer uh, at N.Vocos, V-O-C-O-S and Michelle Allen at Mish Potatoes, um, butchers at Ironside Fish and Oyster I'm born and raised, uh, totally stoked to have them here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Michelle. I really remember when you came into Ironside, um, you know, you were this head down, very quiet. I I remember you used to saying like, I want to clone her. You know, I was always so excited. You know how you just brought this calmness and professionalism to an extremely busy restaurant. You know, where does that come from for you? You're so calm under pressure. And I just that always impressed me a lot about you.
2: Honestly, I got that from Chef Joe Magnanelli at Cucina Urbana.
0: And Chef Joe, amazing chef. Amazing. A really incredible chef. Just opened a new restaurant uh, in San Diego. But yeah, Michelle worked there. Started at Ironside part-time originally, Mm -hmm. a couple days a week, and was working up there Mm -hmm. full-time. I mean, amazing. You just had this presence that I was always so impressed with.
2: Yeah. Uh, I remember going to Ironside with, remember Michael Mann?
0: I do. yes. Yeah. So
2: him and I worked at Cucina together and I remember, who was it, Josh was asking um, another chef that worked at Cucina, they were friends, like, how do you guys train your cooks at Cucina Urbana? Because Mm -hmm. Michelle and Mike are just like, yeah, head down, quiet. And I'm just like, yeah, that's just how I mean, Cucina was a tough kitchen to work in. That was my first job ever. I started off as an intern. And then started as a prep cook and did catering, and I think everything I've learned as far as like discipline and just professionalism and work ethics, I learned there.
0: Nice. So I've I just mean, carried that on. And so do 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 you think you learned it there? But do you think it was in you coming from a military background family, or because you always hear those stories about military kids, disciplined dad, mom. You know was that or no you just kind of went in and yeah. you just put your head down
2: no i guess yeah i am the oldest of three kids so i had to kind of be like the leader with my two younger sisters and yeah my dad being in the military he is really strict mm-hmm. um like i said we moved around a lot so i guess i get a little bit of that there too and i'm also just a quiet person in general like i like to show up to work just kind of observe you know and just work my way through just do a good job help anybody when they need it um and i think that's, I don't know. I just try not to be like cocky. Yeah, just I mean, stay humble. I, you know, just work, work and, hard. And
0: I think, and that is to me, you know, one of the things that we struggle with a little bit in the industry at times is uh, people keeping their head down. You know, and, and a lot of people say, I get questions asked. Like, How do I learn more? How do I do more? How do I learn more? And I'm, and I'm always, it's a struggle for me because you never want anyone to stop learning. But the best way to learn more is to keep your head down and just kind of do and perfect what you're asked to do. you know, and I think that happens a lot with young cooks or cooks new to the industry that they too, they're already looking at the station beside them. You know, they're not focusing on the station there. What do you think about that, Natalie?:
1: Well yeah, I just I think eagerness can hinder you sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, everyone wants to play the piano, but no one wants to take lessons, and it's just stay calm take it one step at a time and concentrate on what you have in front of you. Like you said, yeah, you have to put
2: in the work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the grind that a lot of people don't understand, you know? And I think there's, you know, with social media and different platforms now, like everyone's judging themselves based on really kind of biased information, right? Because just because someone put a beautiful dish on Instagram or said they butchered a fish, doesn 't mean that they 're butchering fish very well, right you know and the, but people judge themselves against that, you know, and I think what what you guys have done and and, and that process is you know I see the patience in you too, and I think that 's why from my opinion, you guys do very well for us, and I think and you would do very well anywhere you know because you have the patience, your head down. And I and I remember and even watching you, Natalie, I was there more when Michelle was there back mm-hmm. in the day because she came on a little bit earlier and I'm not at Ironside as much since you've been there. But you know, I'm there having lunch and I watch you and there's a calmness about you. Whether you're hiding it or not, I don't know, maybe in your head no, you're I'm thinking, screaming Holy on the shit, inside. Constantly. This is chaos. Yeah. What am I doing? But part of that is as you become leaders is you have to hide that, you know, if me as a leader, if I go into openings and I'm panicking nonstop, the whole team's going to say, well, this idiot doesn't know what he's doing. We're all in trouble. Right. And, and I think that is what makes you guys, you know, great leaders, you know, that maybe you don't even know that, but that's what's really special. about You and I watch you guys work and it's really, really special to see because it's, it's a calmness that you bring over in a very chaotic environment, which is, Really special to watch. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So now, so now you get this job. You know, they hire you. They think you're cocky because you had oysters after an interview. Which yeah. good for you. Why not? It's a good place to you get oysters. Try I heard. the food that you're <laughs> right. Yeah. What if the oysters were really bad? Yeah. Right? You wouldn't want that job. No way. So, what did your first couple of days look like at Ironside?
1: Well. So,
0: oh, this sounds good. <laughs> <Sorry>. oh, oh. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm actually going to mention my stage. Oh, so okay. I was texting so just Mariano. quickly
0: stage. What's a stage? Just so quickly for our guests. It's like
1: a working interview mm-hmm. on a, and uh, it can be anywhere from one day to a month. It just depends on the restaurant and what you're looking for. If you're there to learn or if you're there to interview, it's hard to have a sit down conversation and see how someone's going to work mm-hmm. in a kitchen and see if it's both a good fit for the cook. And the kitchen, so it's a good way there to do.
0: There you that. go. So there you go. So it's a working interview, basically. You kind of get a feel, and it it does. Ideally, it works for both. Hopefully, yes. Someone working there are interviewing because they may go into the kitchen or workspace. Like, what wow, these guys are Nuts. idiots. Yeah. I'm out of here. Right. So for you, let's talk. Let's hear about it. I'm interested.
1: So, so I was texting uh, Mariano. I was coming from Chicago for this stage, and uh, just wanted to know, you know, knife bag kitchen shoes obviously the basics what else should i bring agree i made a green mistake i didn't bring an apron because i thought oh it's a big place they're gonna get their linens done Mm -hmm. no i was wrong and michelle was still at ironside at the time and she saw i would say panic
2: was you were like standing in the corner by the sink (laughs) were you rocking back and forth <laughs> I remember you were on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> and like Primo's like fast and he's everywhere and you're just kind of standing there watching. I
1: was like, yeah. I don't, I, there was no like, all right, this is what you're going to do. It was just like, all right, here you go. And this was my first stage that wasn't in a fine dining mm-hmm. restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, all right, I don't know what to do. And Michelle was so kind and she came up to me and she was like, do you need an apron? I was like, Please, Thank you so much. She gives me an extra apron. And then she's like, do you need something to do? I was like, please. (laughs) 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 So she, I think you handed me like a couple of bunches of parsley and. I don't remember. Cutting board something. I don't know. But that's
0: part, I had no idea this actually happened. And having you two here together is even better now. I had no idea that. Oh, yeah. That
2: that was. uh, That's how we became friends. That's That's how how we became friends. That's pretty awesome. So So as
0: everyone knows, so fine dining, you know, a little bit more. I don't know if calm is the right word, but it can be calm. Still a lot of stress in any restaurant, but fine dining restaurants are typically a little bit more calm. Ironside is definitely a high volume where we'll do three, 400 people for lunch. And we might go into three, 400 people for dinner it's a pretty small kitchen, pretty chaotic, you're cranking all the time. And so when you're walking in there the first time, you're like, so why did you come back? I guess would be the question. Oh, I loved it. Okay, there I, you had go.
1: A, I had a great time. Uh, by the end of it, me and Primo had our thing down and you know, I I was sweating, but I was ready to keep keep going. Mariana was like, all right, let's sit down, let's talk. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go back in the kitchen. He's like, "No, oh, go home, you're done.
0: <laughs> Natalie Sawyer and Michelle Ann are here with me on Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast both badass butchers who work with me at Sage Projects here in San Diego. Thanks to Callaway Podcast Network for hosting us. And when we return, Natalie and Michelle brought a few dishes to taste and talk about. Quick shout out to our friends at Callaway Golf, makers of some of the most innovative and exciting golf clubs and golf balls in the game. They've recently introduced their new Jaws MD5 wedges, and those things look sweet. They're amazing out of the bunker And they're so versatile, I'm thinking about using one as a spatula in my kitchen. Check the Jaws MD5 out at a golf shop near you or at CallawayGolf.com. Well, welcome back to Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. I'm Jason McLeod, chef partner at CH Projects here in San Diego. Um, I have two of my colleagues here with me today, Natalie Sawyer and Michelle Allen, butchers at Ironside and born and raised. Uh, and they brought a couple of treats for us today. What did you guys bring for us to, to look at? Michelle, what did you bring?
2: Uh, okay. So I brought a sample of a charcuterie board that we, we have at uh, Born and Raised. And then I also brought in a dry-aged T-bone.
0: Nice. Very cool. Favorites. T-bone, one of my faves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the charcuterie, what, what's charcuterie?
2: Um, charcuterie is taking parts of the animal and curing it or uh, emulsifying it and and cooking it and making sausages um, and things like that, like prosciutto, uh, brisola, salami, that's all charcuterie.
0: Nice, very nice, nice, and we do that in-house down there. Yes, that's actually beautiful.
2: Rev Ryan does it, yeah. I'm learning from him. So um, this is everything that he's made in-house.
0: Very nice. Natalie, what'd you bring for us?
1: Uh, a couple of different mousselines. So I did kind of my version of that uh, seafood terrine mm-hmm. that you've, we've done for events, Yeah, and then um, Mm-hmm. I did a, a halibut.
0: I started now to catch you off. Mousseline. Let's describe Mousseline, do our guess.
1: Uh, so it's that emulsification. It goes into that charcuterie again of a protein and heavy cream mm-hmm. uh, that is then often either poached or baked in a terrine dish.
0: So you take the fish, you puree it, yep. some cream, maybe, maybe a little, an egg, egg, white. little yep. egg white in there, right? And then you kind of wrap it up in something form. Could be anything from plastic wrap to leeks to anything like that. Right. Tie it up tight and then you poach it. Exactly. Delicious. Awesome, very cool. Well, thanks for bringing that. I'm gonna chow down on that. Uh, Again, I got Natalie Sawyer for me, a butcher at Ironside Fish and Oyster. Michelle Allen at Born and Raised Butcher. I'm Jason McCloud, all part of CH Projects here in San Diego. Um, Love having these two in today because we're talking a little bit about, you know, industry, how they got started. So you both are line cooks to start. You kind of go down this path and then all of a sudden Michelle, you go into butcher world at Ironside. Yeah. How did that happen?
2: I remember you were giving us reviews, and and you were really awesome about it because you asked us, "What do you want to do next?"
0: Did everybody hear that? Really awesome. <laughs> Thank you out there, Michelle. And I did not have to pay her to do that. Thank you, Michelle. Keep going. <laughs>
2: and so I said, "I want to learn how to butcher." You know, it's, it would be a shame for me to to leave here not knowing how to butcher fish. And then I remember you saying, "Okay, we can work that out." Um, Jeremy, who was the he works at Born and Raised as well. Mm-hmm um he was the full-time butcher at Ironside at the time and you said that he, we needed somebody to cover his days off plus we we're bringing in whole fish from now on and I think you had me start butchering like maybe a couple weeks later and you were the first one to teach me how to butcher I showed up 10 minutes late that day <laughs> I remember and you had me butcher I think eight king salmons nice yeah that's how i started
0: nice and so going from line cook to butcher for you what was the biggest transition
2: um line cook for me i feel like it's pretty easy Mm -hmm. i mean you start to you just know the station and everything's muscle memory so go into into butchery and you don't use a lot of knife like knife skills when you're you're on the line. It's Absolutely, honestly yeah. everything's prepped out for you and you're just kind of putting everything together. So at that point, um, my knife skills were horrible. I didn't even have the knife to butcher um, the salmon. But I think I had to borrow yours.
0: And I think it's, it's a good point is you're talking about so people out there line cooking and butchering. So line cooking typically is the chefs that are online during service cooking and finishing a lot of the prep food that's done by a prep team right and you're right there's not a lot of knife service on because it's a high environment you don't really have a lot of knives around because a lot of the stuff's already done Mm -hmm. now you go into butchery and all of a sudden you're like whoa i need some knives
2: it's completely different yeah completely different um and just like the production of it like just head down all day standing all day and then worrying about messing up this meat you know and i remember i messed up a whole bunch and you're like it's fine it's just fish just relax you know um So completely different worlds, completely different.
0: It really is. And Natalie, for you, so now you're there, you've gone through your stage, you found yourself an apron, you've had your oysters, Ironside's doing pretty well. What was that process for you kind of all of a sudden switching over to butchery?
1: Oh, I was hungry for it. I wanted it from day one. So um, I waited for my opportunity, basically. Uh, Chef Mike Reedy was the CDC at the time, Mm -hmm. and he had to on the fly break down a halibut, did one side, and then had to go back to Expo. I asked if I could do the other side, skinned it, had it all ready for him, and he came back and was like, you want to do this? Yeah, please. And so I just started coming in before my shifts and and learning as much as I could and then bugged them that I wanted that, you know.
0: Uh, Good for you. And I think that is, you know, for me... Um, there's a lot of skills that kind of we go through in kitchens that kind of get forgotten. And I do think butchery is one of them. It's so easy now to just order fish filleted portion. You call up your supplier and say, hey, look, give me 30 pieces of six ounce salmon. And same with steaks, you can call up and say, hey, I want 15, 12 ounce New Yorks. And you can just pre-order that. And it comes, cut, portion, way you go. So to me, it was, it's a really a f- almost it was a forgotten art in a lot of ways and now it has come back a lot but you don't see a lot of female butchers out there there's been a few that i've seen across the country and so for you do you think without dividing men and women obviously but do you think it's significant for two ladies to be butchering at two pretty awesome restaurants here in san diego born raised ironside fish and oyster
1: i think it says a lot about the company um because Obviously, women are just as capable as men, but often we aren't given equal opportunity. So the fact that two women are able to be in these positions says a lot about the ethos of consortium. Just, you know, we don't care about what you look like, what your gender is. We just want people to learn and grow. And that is... Incredible
0: and I think in the in butchery is you know, Michelle get to your answer in one sec is butchery is like one of the most important parts of any Restaurant for many reasons for a a lot of you don't know like Michelle said earlier when she talked about those king salmon and she You know, maybe slipped a few and knocked off a few pieces of precious meat There's a lot of cost, you know, so the butchers have a lot of responsibility in the food cost You know that happens at a restaurant, you know, which is one of the biggest costs we have in any restaurant so Michelle, what do you think? Do you think that it plays a role being a female in, in the kitchen or butcher, especially butchering? Cause you just don't see a lot of that.
2: Um, I agree with Natalie. I mean, I, it does show a lot about this company and I've never honestly felt that being a woman that I was ever talked down to or, oh no, she can't do that. It's always been, everyone has always been so, so, so supportive. Which is great. And I think one.
0: for me yeah. it's hard because I really do, I, I try to pride myself on not judging women or men uh, to me, especially in a kitchen. Like there's just, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're either a good line cook, good butcher, good employee, it doesn't matter what you are, you know? And, and I think in that to me, you guys just amplify a great employee, right? You guys are dedicated, passionate, um, want to learn, which is to me the biggest thing. If, if an employee wants to learn, yeah, what more can you ask for, right? And then it's our responsibility to try to teach as much as possible. I'm here with Natalie Sawyer uh, N, at n.vocos, V-O-C-O-S, and Michelle Allen at Mish Potatoes. Natalie, our butcher at Ironside Fish and Oyster. Michelle, our butcher at Born and Raised, part of CH Projects and colleagues of mine. And we're talking a little bit about females and butchering and kind of what it means to them to be in a position where you don't see a lot of females doing. And, and again, Natalie... You know, t- t- again, talk to me about, you know, that line cooking into butchery, you know, and, and what does it mean now to kind of have a control, you know, as this female butchering big pieces of fish?
1: It's great. It's awesome. I think that given the opportunity to learn about all these huge ocean creatures that, you know, a girl from Illinois never got to see in real life is incredible. Um, I think butchering for anyone is a really great way to monitor your own growth too because it's something that's physical in front of you and you can see like you said when you mess up a bunch of stuff and then how the next time you go into it okay I feel this I feel how I'm supposed to do this and to really be on top of yourself. So even if you don't have someone over your shoulder, you can progress and really grow.
0: And let's talk a little bit about the physicality of it because I think you used that word physical and, and I think I'm gonna get to you too, Michelle, because yeah. I know we, we're <laughs> gonna talk about pigs down the end there. But for you Natalie, we were talking a little bit before we started the uh, taping is, w- we just looked at a picture with you holding what was about a 200 pound bluefin tuna, right? right? And, and you made the comment that you're six feet tall And that tuna was as tall as you. Like when that fish comes in, like walk me through what goes through your mind when you see this and you know that you're responsible for this beast of an animal.
1: Well, I mean now stars in my eyes at the beginning terror. I mean, I was just, if your knife goes even just a centimeter above where it's supposed to be, you're going to lose, you know, two to three portions of, of fish. And, especially with seafood and with beef and with all these things, it's, that's a lot of money. So there's a lot of pressure on that. But um, now I I think when you do get that feel for it, you get to be confident in it and you know when to stop yourself and kind of reset. So I'm just stoked when I see something Yeah, and like
0: I think that. another key word you use there is confidence, right? I think line cooking, to me, if I really like put it in simple terms, a really cocky position, right? Like I know what it is, but you can be cocky line cooking, big service, you're kind of crushing, but, and you have to have the confidence, absolutely, but I think it's a little more cockiness that you are successful line cook in some ways, but butchery, I think it's confidence, right? And you made that word because like I say, you put that 200 pound tuna on your butcher table. If you don't have confidence to go in and attack that fish, You're going to be hesitant and a a lot of hesitant, you know, uh, you'll make mistakes with hesitance. You really, truly do. So how do you gain that confidence? How do you how do you become confident?
1: repetition mm-hmm. repetition over and over again and like I said monitoring your improvement and for a long time I was tracking my yields so I would weigh the total fish or the whole fish and then uh weigh the fillets that I was getting off of it just to kind of monitor and make sure that I was where I was supposed to be and when you see like the divots from the bones in the filet, so you know you got everything off there, and you don't have to go back with a spoon and clean it up anymore. That's kind of how. It's
0: pretty special, isn't it? It's a great great. feeling. So yields for everybody out there. So yields, you know, each fish, we kind of know approximately what meat would yield off, a tuna, a salmon, a halibut. And then what Nally would do to teach herself was she would write down how much portions, how much meat she got off that. And then kind of compared it to each week. So a pretty awesome thing that she did there. Michelle, so you're a little bit, not quite six feet. Mm-hmm. You're a little bit shorter. <laughs> um, and then, you know, now you're gone from butchering at Ironside to butchering at Born and Raised. Uh-huh. Meat house, steak, masculine place. And now you're responsible for butchering pigs, that 200-pound pigs, 150-pound yeah. pigs, big sides of beef, legs of beef, all different types of things. So how, how did you make that transition? That's a pretty big transition in itself.
2: Um, I honestly had more problems with the fish. Like when they would bring in swordfish, they would just drop it on the floor in the box and I'm like, uh, can I get like ten people to help
0: these But let's be just like those swordfish were two hundred pounds yeah, too. They were some huge. big fish. So
2: Um the pig's pretty fun. Um because it's it, it's People think it's so daunting, but it's really, really easy to break down a fish, or not a fish, a pig. Mm-hmm. And you just break, down, break it down into the four pieces and that's it. Um, so it's really not too hard. Right now I find it kind of hard because I'm seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. So lifting for me is really, really tough. Um, but before, no, not really. I really liked it. And then we get primals too. So our primals, like a short loin, the most it'll weigh is gonna be 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so, and when you say breaking down a pig into four pieces, mm-hmm. right? So how do you look at an animal when you're about to, to butcher? Do you, cause I always give hints to people that really, if you could butcher a chicken, mm-hmm. you could butcher a duck, a quail, right. a squab, cause they're really the same. But if, if you t- break it down to that simple form, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to do the task. Do you do the same thing when you look at it? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. For the pig, for example, it's just, you, you know, you take off the shoulder take off the leg and then you're left with the belly and the loin and you split those in half and that's it.
0: There you go. So see how simple it is everybody.
2: And then what you do with those afterwards, like the leg, you can do so much with it. There's muscles inside that there's this thing called seam butchery where you kind of just follow the seams around the muscles and that's where you get specific muscles that are really good for, um, charcuterie for example, you know, um, yeah i like it it's really easy. It's pretty, yeah it's pretty cool and you
0: tack it now you've been doing you've been butchering now for so you're part of the opening team at born and raised yeah on san diego uh steakhouse that opened two just over two years ago mm-hmm. um you're a part of the opening team over there so you've been butchering now for almost three years i guess right probably yeah. a year at ironside before
2: yeah about a year because at ironside it was kind of a part-time job mm, that's so, right yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah cool yeah that's pretty awesome and i i think that to me, you know, the confidence that you, you two exude when you're in their butchering. And again, I'm here with Natalie Sawyer, uh, our Ironside Fish and Oysters butcher. Uh you can follow along and see some of those great fish picks at, at n dot V-O-C-O-S and Michelle Allen, who posts some great stuff over at Born and Raised at Meash Potatoes. That's M-I-C-H P-O-T-A-T-O-E-S. Um so really excited again about having them here and talking about butchery, a little bit of the kitchen work, how they transition from line cooks into butchery. Um, pretty special. We're going to take a short break, but before we do, I'd like to thank Callaway Podcast Network for hosting Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. When we return, Chefs Natalie Sawyer and Michelle Allen from Ironside Fish and Oyster and Born and Raised here in San Diego, are going to talk about what they would change in our food industry. A quick shout out to our friends at Callaway Golf. Makers of some of the most innovative and exciting golf clubs and golf balls in the game. Their Chrome Soft Golf Ball goes far, feels great, and spins around the greens. It's just like the perfect chef knife. It does everything well. Check out Chrome Soft at a golf shop near you or at CallawayGolf.com. I'm here with Natalie Sore and Michelle Allen, two badass butchers from Ironside Fish and Oyster and born and raised here in San Diego and colleagues of mine. Um, I want to get a little bit into uh, with you ladies about kind of the industry in a whole and talk a little bit about. Now you guys have been in it for a little while. Natalie, how long now? About four years? Five years? Uh,
1: a little less than that, a I less.
0: think. Yeah. So three? And Natalie, uh, uh, sorry, Michelle, how long you been?
2: Seven years now.
0: So seven wow. years, so still pretty young in a lot of ways in yeah. kind of industry life. You know, it's probably, you know, it's like dog years. You know, you add an extra seven years onto a line cook's life, right? <laughs> so th- let's talk a little bit about kind of things that you've come across that maybe you would think you could change or how would you make some things better in a kitchen?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I think just emphasizing the slowing down to speed up. I think that we get wrapped up in this if you're not moving constantly then you must be doing something wrong or doing something slow but the fastest workers Michelle being one of them that I watch are very precise in their movements they're very slow and I think that um, just regaining focus on just all right, let's calm down. Let's take a second. Let's look at the big picture. I think sometimes we get a little short-sighted and tunnel vision, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of focusing on people a little bit more than we do. Um, I think that we get into this, you know, all right, service starts in 10 minutes. I, my temper is flaring and, you know, I have anxiety. I might have yelled at somebody for something i normally wouldn't have but to remember that this person's having a day too, you know treat everyone with respect
0: absolutely michelle what about you i saw you shake your head when, when natalie mentioned people
2: oh yeah i agree um i think really focusing on the morale of everyone in the kitchen it's a really tough environment mm-hmm. i mean um you also think too like a lot of the kitchen staff aren't paid as well as you know in front of the house and they put in overtime. They work six days a week, seven days a week,
0: two jobs,
2: two jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had, I think three years of my career, two jobs. And, um, yeah, people do get tired. They have their own stories and, and sometimes we forget that. Yeah. I
0: think, yeah, I think you're right. I think we do in our industry, you know, forget that it's a people business we're in, you know, and, and our whole job in hospitality is to, to make, people or help people have great experiences. And we almost forget that that starts by creating great experiences in our own place of work. You know, in the kitchen, it is tough. And and look, I've been doing this now for over thirty years and and I've seen a lot of change in in our industry for the good. But there's still a lot we have to do and and there is a, a an unbalance of, you know, pay structure and work hours and different things like that. And and you see less and less cooks. It really is a trend. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot more opportunities for. Because I always felt when I was young, I was always explained that look, cooks are typically a little bit more creative than say servers, right? You know, that's why they're cooks. You know, and servers are servers. No big deal. It is what it is. But now. There's a lot more outlets in our industry because it's not just about working in a kitchen or a restaurant anymore. There's celebrity chefs, there's TV shows, there's catering, there's private chefing. There's all these things, these outlets with the Food Network and Instagram that we never, when I started, we never had. You either cooked or you served. That's kind of what we did. Now we have these things. So you see less and less cooks in a kitchen because again, there's a lot more outlets or a lot of cooks, what I've seen is they've gone into bartending. You know, because yeah, you can yeah. see you can be creative in a bartender and a bartender can make really really good money with tips mm-hmm. you know is there something that you know like really think about it. is there something that in terms of morale like what do you think would be a key moment that maybe you don't feel you have a voice yet at ironside to talk about but you think that you have a an idea that could really help morale now at ironside
1: I mean, that's such a hard thing because when you're talking about morale, you're talking about a specific person. So Mm -hmm. something that's going to work for someone is not going to work for someone else. So I think it's just really important to listen to people. I I see a lot of people talking over people in conversations or maybe someone says one thing, but they hear something completely different. Um, And I think that's because when you're in a high stress environment, it's easy to get wrapped up in your own thoughts. So I think slow down and really listen to what people are saying because a lot of times people are gonna voice what they need.
0: Yeah, and I think it is true what you say because we are in such a high volume, high intensity, passion, timeline, timeline, time. you're always on edge. And I think you're right. I, I think we we tend to to respond before we listen. And, and, I, and I, I find myself over the years like, I've changed a lot over the years, but I still have that tendency because you just you think you know the answer before you really listen to what the question is. Right? Because you almost think, well, the decision needs to be made right now. But you're right to take that extra couple minutes and really think about it, and then listen to that employee and what it might be. And they might be just asking for a simple thing of I need parsley, and you're yelling at them because there's no fish, and they're like, "What is this guy talking about?" You know? <laughs> but you're right, it, and it's such a high environment or a hot-paced environment that you forget about that. And for me, you know, I have maybe 15, 20 more years of this, you know, and hopefully I can go off into the sunset and golf one day, but I I really do think about where our industry is going and and how do we do better? You know, we have 600 employees now in CH Projects here in San Diego, and it's crazy to, to think about how do we really try to make everybody happy. It's hard, you know. Michelle, what about you? Is there something that you think that, if, you, if it was you up to you only, is there one thing, or maybe it's not one thing, there's a couple things that you think would really help change what we do in our kitchens.
2: Um, when it comes to people, I think what's huge, huge is just acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. You know, I recently just had a review, and just having a conversation with the chefs, having them kind of give you feedback on how well you're doing, and then to give them feedback on how they can help you is like... It changes your morale completely
0: so yeah I think I,
2: acknowledging people is amazing just, just just tell them like oh you're doing a good job keep it up you know if you need help with anything let us know just that support is really
0: really really no huge. it's amazing and i'm here talking with natalie sawyer our head butcher at ironside fish and oyster and michelle allen our head butcher at born or raised part of ch projects where i'm partner and chef and two colleagues of mine we're talking a little bit about Kind of morale in kitchens and how we make it work. And acknowledgement is so such a key word because I was always of a mindset that if I wasn't being yelled at or I wasn't told I was doing a bad job, I'm crushing it. So it was really hard for me as a leader to kind of break away from when an employee would come to me and say, "I want a review." I'm like, "What do you need a review for?" I I mean, you're doing a great job; like, you're awesome, you know. But you're right; it's people need to hear that, and I think we do forget, and I think it's probably. Many professions are the same, but in kitchens, you are. It's like we are that we still have that old school mentality at mm-hmm. times where just to take five or 10 minutes to sit with somebody and give some feedback and talk a little bit about performance or hey, what do you want to learn? What can we help you? You know, because it is, it's hard. It, we are in an industry where people want to learn. There's so much to learn in what we do. It really is butchery, line cooking, prep cook, bakery, pastries. It, it's there. You know, there's so much we can do. And I think that's a great one. Is acknowledgement to me is like I'm going to take this note and kind of bring it back because it is true. It's something we do forget a lot about. It's really unbelievable. Uh, so good feedback. Good feedback. So, what what do you guys see, Michelle? What do you see? Obviously. Uh, you're pregnant, you know, you got a new baby coming on board. You know, what do you see, though, the future of Michelle? Like, what are some goals for you in terms of the kitchen? You know, butchery still or back to line cooking, chef one day? Uh,
2: I really want to get into charcuterie. Mm-hmm. I want to take that butchering and just kind of take it to another level. And, um ryan at born and raised he has been like training me a little bit just kind of teaching me the technique of oh this is how we do an emulsification this is how we do Mortadel, these are the steps etc this is how you make a pate um so just like little by little i'm kind of picking up a few things but i haven't actually had like a full day of just hands-on just charcuterie Um, I do want to get back on the line eventually, um, just because it's good to know what's coming out of the restaurant, Mm -hmm. what we're serving our guests. You know, every Fridays we have meetings and we're always talking about, oh, this came out wrong. This needs to be better. This was great. And I have no idea what they're talking about because (laughs) I'm in my butcher cave and I don't see anything that comes out. So um, even baking yeah. even pastries i yeah, mean i really want to get into everything before i can feel like i can be called like a chef or anything and know? i think
0: and that's interesting so charcuterie again everybody so charcuterie is really a process that's really connected to butchery that again is something that i don't want to say completely lost but over time it has been you know lost in some ways because it, it's a thing that you can buy now from there's a lot of small purveyors all over america all over the country. Um, At Born and Raised, we are making our charcuterie in-house. And a lot of that is cured meats, pâtés where they're ground, put into terrine molds, and then baked. And we do that, and we do a meat and cheese board there. And so Michelle's been working a little bit with our guy Ryan there that does a lot of that for us. And it really is one of those things. And when you make a great... You know, charcuterie piece, whether it's mortadella, whether it's a salami, whether it's a pepperoni, it's pretty cool to kind of find that product, especially when you're using scraps from animals that you know we care for when we buy the whole animal. Natalie, what about you? Where do you see yourself going the next little while?
1: Uh, Well, I'm lucky enough that I get to work the line as well during my day and I get to kind of be all over the place. Um, But I really want to dive into like weird stuff like I am excited now with Groovy being the CDC cuz he likes that super weird stuff too. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to start experimenting. I'd love to come hang out with Michelle, learn more about what they're doing over there and just kind of go into more of the like science side of it um and just see see some weird stuff.
0: And I think yeah, I think that's the great thing about what we do in our industry and kind of in the restaurant. There's there's so much to learn, you know, and, and, and I think in, and when you talk about the weird stuff, you know, like there is a lot of science in what we do. It's sometimes simple science, but there's a lot of science when, you know, fermenting or making misos or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of that going on out there now. And I, and I think that to me is, you know, what I want to teach more and talk a lot more in our business, <clears throat> excuse me, at CH Projects is, is a little bit more about waste you know, and, and recycling and different things like that. And I think that if we can look at it at, you know, all together, you know, and say, okay, how does this work from when something's delivered to when a, the check gets the bill, you know, or at the end of the night, we close the door. And I think there's so many things. And I think you two have such a huge part of that because of what you do in our group. Um, you know, you're, you have, you're responsible and, and I don't know if you ever you think about it this way or not. Maybe you have, but you're responsible for probably 60% of the cost that comes into Ironside. Natalie, if you think about it, I don't know if you ever thought about that before.
1: I try not to on stressful days, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's actually, it's really exciting too, because, you know, you get to take some pride when food cost is low and, you know, you get to work, I think more closely with your chef because of it too. So, um, It's a a good thing, it's exciting.
0: It is, and I think it's a lot of things too that we don't teach a lot of young cooks or even young chefs um, is how to run a business. you know. Because a lot of chefs are really good cooks or young cooks are really good cooks. So we promote them up because they're really good cooks, they're hard working and they get promoted, promoted, promoted. And then all of a sudden they're a chef and then someone says to them, well why is the food cost so high or labor cost so high? And they're like, I don't think I know what that means. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh wow. And, and I do think, so I know Natalie, you talked about the yield and, and different things like that. And I think that's, you know, have you had much, have either of you had much contact with costs, costing?
2: No, honestly, not until born and raised this mm-hmm. year. Um, you know during the meetings on Fridays with the leads and the chefs we always talk about food costs we'll look at the it's um, like called the P&L yeah
0: P&L uh, and so just, for like, everyone out there P&L profit and loss statement that we share with our employees
2: yeah and it's um, it's cool to learn about it because you have no idea oh linens you know that that cost something or we're paying this much in gas or this much in water and then you look at all the food costs and you just have no idea like oh my gosh the meat is huge mm-hmm. like it's actually a big part of 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 the money
0: yeah that i mean at born and raised is ironside is probably 60 percent protein at born raised probably more like 70 75 yeah. protein there yeah. and 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 i think what people don't realize you know um when we charge something for a, a product and they think it's expensive i guess you know they we hear that comment on different things and but we are dealing with something that basically, well, meat's a little bit different in some ways, but it's starting to rot as soon as it gets to us. You know, there's an expiry date, if not looked after properly, on everything we do produce, meat, proteins, fruit, whatever it might be, dairy. And I think, and that's where for me, is really like, I think the future is. Not only working with young cooks uh, and teach them how to cook, but to also teach them how to run businesses. Because I think for for us and CH projects um, here in San Diego is you know, is really understanding if, if we have employees that are really connected to what a PL is, a profit loss statement, what food cost really means, what labor cost really means, what it costs to put linen on a table, hopefully that we have multiple business owners in our operation then, because everyone understands and can talk about it because it is true. We, even in our meetings, we say, you know, to our managers, Hey, why is linen cost so high? And, and you see that kind of look sometimes like, Oh no, I don't know. Right. And, and I think, and those are the things as, you know, minimum wages go up and costs go up. These are, if we can control those, you know, well, we can have more money for employees, you know, Mm -hmm. to pay more because you cut cut all the things. So I think for me, that's a big thing that, you know, I really want to dive more into. And I know we've been started doing these meetings in the stores where we've talked a little bit more with line staff about that. Um, So it's pretty exciting. Um, So again, I'm here with Natalie Sawyer, uh, head butcher at Ironside Fish and Oyster. Uh, You can follow her at at Vocus V-O-C-O-S, and Michelle Allen, our head butcher at Born and Raised, at Mish Potatoes, M-I-C-H-P-O-T-A-T-O-E-S. Two colleagues of mine who I've been pretty, uh, pretty proud of to kind of watch their careers grow, and it, it's kind of neat to kind of have them both here um, and kind of see their growth and, and spend some time with them. So thank you, ladies, for coming. Um, but I do have something that we call 11 stupid questions, um, that I'm going to ask you. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I like to ref- everyone's look like Natalie was like, oh, Michelle's like, woo. Um, so with these questions, you know, what we'll do is, um, I'm going to ask them at the same time. So just one question. You both answer first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You come Oh that?
1: no, Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, cool. All right. First one, what is your favorite word?
1: food i was gonna say butts <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of
0: one to ten ten being very how weird are you
1: oh 11 and a half <laughs> i just said butts is my favorite word i think nine nine you're
2: pretty you're oh, like okay me. i'm right
0: hey what sound <laughs> or noise do you love
2: sound or noise that we love mm-hmm. oh the
1: alarm in of the um the combi oven and pastry i love i don't i can hear it all the way from the butcher boards but that chime is so calming it's like the bah, nah, bah, nah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> michelle you got one
2: weird. um i like the sound of my dog's footsteps oh cute oh yeah. very nice that was cute
0: dog lover here too mm-hmm. what's your favorite curse word
2: fuck fuck yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big one it's for chefs heaven. i think
0: right <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
2: uh, hm. I want to be a ninja. A ninja, ninja. yeah, kind of cool.
1: I think Michelle already knows my obsession with hip hop dancers.
2: Uh, I did not know this.
1: <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> I, I watch YouTube videos of <laughs> hip hop dancers. So hip hop dance dancer anything,
0: and ninja. Yeah. Well, Michelle, you got the knife <laughs> skills for it. Um, what do people say about you behind your back?
2: That I'm mean?
1: No. Really? I've never heard that about you. Because they're scared of me. <laughs> I don't oh, uh, yeah, probably that I'm obnoxious. I'm loud.
2: You are loud. I am loud. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what are you not very good at?
2: Finances.
1: Mm, yeah, I'm not good with money. Typical cooks.
2: <laughs>
0: what are you very good at?
1: Other people's money.
2: (laughs) Um, I don't know. Keeping a house clean? Oh, that's good. Really tidy. All right.
0: Tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on.
2: That's a hard one. No. I can't think of anything right now.
1: Oh, it's gonna bug me because I know there's. I'm leave we'll come. We'll, here. we'll come back. Okay. To that okay. One.
0: Room, desk, or car, which do you clean first?
1: Room. Room. My car is nasty.
0: <laughs> Money <laughs> or fame. Money. 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 All right. Good. Good. Okay. So one more time, tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on.
1: Birds aren't real. No, I'm just
0: kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. That's a hard one.
0: That's a tough one. All right, well, think about it. We'll have to discuss that later. Okay. Again, ladies, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really proud of you both. Can't say that enough. I'm really excited what the future holds for you guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening for Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.